Hello and welcome to the Sober Bliss Podcast with me, Gail, and my amazing guest. I finally quit drinking for good in March of 2018, and one of the things that helped me was connecting with people on the same journey as me, hearing their stories and finding inspiration. No matter where you are on your journey to sobriety, I hope you enjoy listening to these stories and hope they bring you inspiration, joy and light so you can find your own sober bliss. Hi everyone and welcome to another edition of Sober Bliss Meets. This is actually the first podcast of 2022 so happy new year everybody today i'm joined by my lovely friend sophie um and sophie you might have seen her on instagram if you haven't then check her out and she's known as the wolf you feed hi sophie hi gail thanks for having me i feel very honored to be on your first episode of 2022 (laughs) i know i know it's exciting i just realized that as i was saying it it is the first one of 2022 let's hope um it's the first of many and we have a good year Absolutely. This year. <laughs> so how are you how was your Christmas and new year I'm very well um yes Christmas and new year was good I took a break um which was really great and needed um just to you know take a step back and remember how important it is to create space and um well yeah. nourish good wolf um so I've come into this year feeling really refreshed and and yeah ready to go yeah. how was yours yeah similar quiet um because it'd been a bit hectic all the way through the summer and I didn't really have a break actually so it was really nice to just slow down and spend time with the family and it's really cold here so it is just the perfect time to kind of get under a blanket with a book and sit in front of the fire because that's what I've been doing for the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Lovely that feels like a distant memory to me over here in Australia because yeah. it's so hot so I'm looking forward to some snuggle, snuggly blanket weather <laughs> if it comes. Yeah I know it's so weird to like not have Christmas in the cold I just yeah I don't know. Do you know, it's actually one thing that I still can't get my head around over oh, really? here. Um, Halloween's the first one where mm-hmm. um, the kids are all sort of trick-or-treating in shorts and in daylight. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Christmas, you know, I'll often get invitations to Christmas barbecues. Um, so I'm not quite used to that. No. And, um, you know, the, all the Christmas lights. Actually, there's lots of houses that put up amazing Christmas lights here. Yeah. But sort of have to wait until about 10 to go out and see them because it's light so, so late. But it's also lovely, you know, being able to go to the beach and, you know, have a sunbake or have a swim on Christmas Day. So it's just, it's gorgeous as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because you're not from Australia, are you? You live there, but where are you from, Sophie? Um, yeah, I live here. So I've been here three years almost, or two and a half years. Um, I grew up in Switzerland for the first part of my childhood and then moved to England when I was about 12. Um, 
yeah, was there for the remainder of my teens and most of my 20s and uh, did a lot of traveling around in my 20s and then um, came here two and a half years ago. Yeah, yeah. So you've got experience of cold Christmases, white Christmases, I would imagine, in Switzerland. Very white. Oh. Yeah, they're gorgeous over there. And actually, um, a lot of my family still live there. So it's, mm-hmm. it's gorgeous seeing all the photos of them in their sort of, you know, their snow gear up on the mountain. And um, it's, it's very, very traditionally Christmas over there. You know, you go candle dipping um, and the oh. Christmas market and oh, lots of snow. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So quite a contrast for now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Would you like to, I don't know what to ask you first, actually. Um, I think people will be really intrigued to learn a little bit more about the wolf you feed. And you did mention that in the beginning, how you nourished your wolf. Um, Do you want to explain what is the wolf you feed? Absolutely. Um, So the wolf you feed is uh, so I'm an addiction recovery coach and um, the Wolf You Feed is my um, company, my brand. And the name came about um, based off actually an old parable um, that I'll read to you and um, and then we can yeah. go from there. So it's based on a very old parable, a, a, a favourite of mine. Um, and it starts with, Um, an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil, he is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority and ego. He continued, the other is good, he is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? And the old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. And um, so this, I really am in love with this parable and I've, and it really lends itself um, very well, very strongly to recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my own experience and in the experience of many others that I know in recovery, um, the maintenance of that recovery really lies in feeding that good wolf yeah. um, and, you know, really bringing that one to the forefront. So that's the background of the name. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. And it's so true. Um because there are kind of two sides to all of us, maybe sometimes multiple sides. And it is important that we look after the version of ourselves, I suppose, that we want to be. Um, And it's such a lovely way of explaining it to people. Um, It's a really good story. Thank you. Yeah, and it's, um, it's a really great reminder um, you know, at any point of the day, actually for anyone in recovery or not, um, to think, you know, stop and think, am I feeding my good wolf or which wolf am I feeding yeah. right now? Um, just that moment to stop and think and go, actually, you know, am I serving myself with this decision I'm making or this thing that I'm doing? 
so it's a really valuable mm-hmm. uh, sort of tool I suppose um, yeah. and thought process to have yeah it is it is uh, so you are a addiction and recovery coach and I would imagine that you chose this wonderful path because of your own experiences with um, being in recovery yourself. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your own journey and experiences? Yeah, of course. Um, So drinking um, for me started sort of mid-teens. It was after I'd come back to the UK Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in the UK it's fairly cultural to get stuck in fairly early and um it was always um it was always very much part of you know any social experience um that Mm. I was part of from a very early age back in England and um I also had started working in a pub on the on the restaurant sort of side um So I was very much surrounded by drinking and that culture, which I realized, you know, now many years later, that the normalization of drinking was probably quite a big factor in how the progression happened for me into addiction, because it it started off as, you know, being this social butterfly and always going out and drinking, always being part of that. Um, But over time, it became everything, you know, it became um, an addiction, unfortunately. Um, so in my 20s, I went to, to uni and it was, you know, drinking was still part of my life. Um, I then sort of went back into the restaurant industry um, after university because I just love food and, you know, love that environment. And the normalcy really kind of ramped up there. And what also happened was actually um, because we were working such long hours, Mm. it became a way to relax as well. So, you know, someone might say at the end, someone might say at the end of the shift, oh, let's have a drink and it might just be a glass of wine. Um, But over time, over years, actually, um, it became a bit more normal that if someone came in at lunchtime and offered us a drink we'd just have it at lunchtime because it was very normal to drink everyone was coming in to have a drink at lunch so it seemed absolutely perfectly normal to do the same thing Mm. um the progression though did increase and the volume increase a lot and things like blackouts would start happening but because we were quite a tight-knit group of people working there, it was often laughed off and things like that. And what also then started happening was, um, you know, hair of the dog in the morning became really appealing Mm -hmm. for all of us. We were all tired, we were all hungover. So a Bloody Mary or something like that in the morning started becoming very normal. Um, I did realize I was feeling exhausted, probably not putting two and two together and thinking, well, actually, if I just cut out the drink, I could probably carry on in this industry. Um, But I decided to get out of the industry. But by that point, it was very, very much ingrained in my lifestyle. And it was very much um, my crutch for everything, you know, um, managing any type of emotion, handling any type of situation, all of that sort of stuff. Because the drinking had got to quite a high level, 
I'd actually started drinking in secret quite a lot. The shame had started growing. People had been noticing around me that it was a problem. Mm -hmm. I realized it was something I couldn't stop very easily. Um, so I would do these stints of giving up for a few weeks here or there and feel great, but actually, um, you know, slowly it would creep in again. And through a lot of embarrassment and shame, a lot of that would then ramp up in secret because I just didn't want to admit to others, but actually, you know, to myself as well, yeah. that it was happening all over again. Um, it, it, you know, I had many, many um, bad sort of rock bottoms, but none of them were quite bad enough at mm. the time. They were horrendous at the time, but still not quite bad enough. Um, but actually, um, my brother, my older brother, ended up uh, coming to visit me and voices concern and um, he he approached it with a level of compassion and non-judgment that really um, stopped me from going inward and um, recoiling mm. and actually I started being a bit more open to the fact that this was something that maybe needed to be looked at so he and I decided on a plan and that was for me to um, oh. go and go to rehab in Thailand for five weeks oh. and um, he's amazing he actually out there um, and I was there for five weeks which was a really eye-opening and tough and challenging process um, but it was also very liberating and a huge relief you know to realize that life was possible without that crutch yeah um what was it like so there, Sophie um if you don't mind telling us a little bit more about Thailand and what you did there. yeah of course so um the moment we landed I already felt a huge amount of relief mm -hmm. um mainly because I'd myself for my environment it, yes it's a very way of doing it I appreciate it's not always something that you know can be done but for me it really really helped just being really far away yeah. um and, you know there was humidity in the air there was a different um scent in the air mm. there was a different culture to embrace um obviously I mean when I got to rehab I was anxiety ridden and yes. um I've been sort of tapering off alcohol along the way so I wasn't in a very healthy state when I got there um, and I was very nervous but mm. as soon as I met a lot of the other people that were there that went away and I realized gosh there's a whole spectrum of people here you know and it was yeah. just such a varied group that it normalized recovery mm. rather than normalizing the drinking and it was really refreshing and the program was um it was based very it was based quite heavily around CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. um, and also one-to-one um, -one therapy. We all had a different therapist or psychologist that we worked with. Yeah. Group sessions as well. So um, they were based around either a theme or a topic that we would all share about, or they would be um, a sort of open forum. And the mm -hmm. first one to speak would basically create the topic. Wow. Um, and then there was, um, you know, there was a beautiful um, fitness area and swimming pool and nutrition was a big part of it as well. And then also um, 12 step was part of it 
um, that was an element I found very tricky to to um, integrate with while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, it was a really holistic approach to yeah. looking at addiction and, and recovery. Um, there was a lot of knowledge absorbing. There was a lot of um, workbook exercises, a lot of homework and things like that. But as well as that, there was a lot of time for reflection and mm. sleep and mm. processing. I think, you know, yeah. And processing was such a big part of it because, mm. you know, a lot of the sessions were really heavy. Yeah. Um, so the processing was equally as important in its own way. Mm. Um, you know, it sometimes felt like I was drifting around a little bit, but actually I noticed that a lot of that processing time would be having chats with other people there or just sitting in my room and journaling. So mm. it was a very nourishing experience, actually. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was quite a small group. There was probably um, 10 of us maximum there mm-hmm. so yeah very special experience yeah challenging yeah it sounds it it sounds both lovely nourishing but also challenging as well yeah and um the biggest uh learning curve I had from that experience was leaving because mm-hmm. um you know while I was there it was a very cushioned and um, protected environment and when I left uh, it it was quite different you know suddenly I was in the big world again Um, there were bottle shops everywhere there was bars there were restaurants there was um, not the same level of of accountability Mm -hmm. you know so it's a very different way of um, approaching life Mm -hmm. but luckily we've given a big set of tools and things to apply um but it was quite a, a steep learning curve actually coming back into the real world after that um I actually ended up um going to stay I didn't feel ready to go back to Europe there was still a little bit of residue in my mind with um a few topics that meant I wasn't quite ready to go back so I went to stay um with a friend in Indonesia, one of my favorite places to be. And that was really nice to do a sort of halfway point, you know, and and gather myself there. Mm -hmm. Um, I popped back to the UK. I actually then had some work in Mexico. So I was in Mexico um, and then in Sumatra and then back to Indonesia. Um, It was quite a wobbly time actually Mm -hmm. there and after when I got back to the UK I got back into work and um, you know felt really good but after a few months I actually realized that some of these tools were slipping away some of my practices um, were slipping away I was feeling quite ungrounded so um, you know actually as, as things there was a contract that was coming to a close anyway so I decided to take six months off and go back to Bali um, and spend time on my recovery. Yeah. And um, it was actually there where I met a recovery coach mm. um, who's been a very, very important part of my own journey. Yeah. And that's 
whom I really learned a lot of these, um, my own practices through and tools and things like that, and really realized how important it is to, um, you know, have that ongoing maintenance of recovery because it's really, it's a lifelong practice, isn't it? So it's, yeah. um, these things like rehab are a fantastic, amazing tool, um, but it's in the maintenance um, that, you know, it's the maintenance that then defines the long-term recovery, I believe. Yeah, it is because it's, it's a lifestyle really, as opposed to uh, like a quick fix you know, you can just remove the alcohol, but unless you kind of work on the issues underneath, um, then there's a chance that the alcohol could creep back in and you can't work on your life in a couple of months. As you say, it's a lifelong mm -hmm. process, um, which I think makes it exciting, you know, not... If someone had told me that when I was still drinking, I would have thought, oh, what? I have to do this forever for the rest of my life. Yeah. But actually, quite the opposite is true because you just learn so much about yourself and you discover things about yourself that you'd either forgotten or have just suddenly appeared. And it is exciting to be on this path of discovery, I like to say. Um, Mm. That's what it yeah and, yeah it is and it's a, it you know I noticed um while I was feeling ungrounded I felt like I was white knuckling mm -hmm. my recovery and really struggling through it for the sake of carrying on because I knew it was necessary and it was essential and I couldn't go back and all those kind of things yeah. but it was a real white knuckle roller coaster ride whereas with um, learning the practices and tools to have an enriched and nourished recovery, mm. it became this beautifully enjoyable um, process and, you know, really something that I now love every day, all those practices and the awareness and the openness and, you know, all of those sorts of things. So what are some of the tools then that you use to help keep you on this wonderful path? Um, for me, um, routine and habits are a really big part of my recovery. Mm -hmm. um, there's a little bit of a misconception sometimes that they can mean that, you know, life gets smaller and rigid, but actually my experience is that it's much more liberating and freeing yeah. to have routine and habits. So um, when I was particularly ungrounded, that looked very strict. You know, I had a, a sort of hour by hour timetable, but that was essential at the time mm -hmm. because anything less than that would have been um, too overwhelming or, or, you know, big goals would have been too overwhelming. So it was very much bite-sized mm -hmm. chunks Whereas that over time, as the habits came into play, um, that got a little bit less and less. So it's, a, you know, it's more relaxed now, but there's still a, um, a strict routine in terms of I don't really give it a miss. Yes. Um, I've noticed, I've noticed sometimes, I don't know about you, when I, sometimes I think, oh, I'll be okay. I'll just, I'll just take a break today. And actually the rest of the day, I can feel really ungrounded. And I think, gosh, that's because I didn't do 
X, Y, and Z. Do you ever feel that? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I do morning pages now. I didn't used to. I was doing that for maybe about five or six months. So basically, the first thing you do when you wake up is um, you just write, fill three pages of whatever is in your head. And it was difficult to get into. But now um, I feel like something's off if I don't do it. You're so right. Mm. It does. I think you notice when it's gone just how much you really relish the practice, whatever it might be, yoga or swimming or walking or journaling, meditating, whatever it is. Um, mm. so yeah, and it is so interesting, especially... I didn't think I would ever be the person, the type of person who would journal or meditate. But now that I do, I can't imagine not doing it. Yeah. And there is, um, I think it's also important to, um, you know, be aware um, with ourselves that there can be flexibility in the routine. So, for example, one of my morning routines is a yoga practice. Um, if I have time, then I do 90 to 120 minutes. You know, I, I do a really long practice, yeah. but sometimes that's just not possible. Yeah. And so instead of not doing it at all, sometimes I'll actually just go and sit on my mat for five minutes mm. or do a 15 minute practice or do some breathing um, or do one part of that practice because yeah. it's actually in the process of, of going through the motions rather than necessarily the whole process mm. that we can get a huge amount of nourishment as well. So, you know, like yours, it, if you were in a rush, it could just be five minutes, couldn't it? One or one page, exactly. um, yeah. you know, just to kind of make sure it's still there. Mm. And I think it's, it's always better to do a little bit than nothing at all. Um, because as soon as we miss it once, we're more likely to miss it again and actually that's where the new habit starts of not doing that thing so it can kind of unravel quite quickly yeah it can it can mm. and yeah I think it's important for people to remember that that they don't have to commit to like you say an hour and a half of yoga every day or 20 minutes meditation or three pages of journaling because that's too much to think about in the beginning but just commit to maybe as you said getting the yoga mat out do that yes. for a week then maybe work up yes. to sitting on it or if you want to journal just put your pen next to your journal and do that for a week and then build up because um, it's much easier to stick with a practice like that if you build it up slowly so it feels good not forced upon you absolutely and our brains also then get used to mm. that pattern of behavior even like you said if it's getting the book out on the pen the next day our brains will start thinking about doing that whether we write in it or not doesn't really matter yeah. um it's a little bit like thinking about you know someone who does a marathon doesn't necessarily start training a full marathon day one you know yeah. they might go for a walk and then do a 5k walk and you know it's sort of it's the build-up it's, it's in that build-up that um those goals become a lot more 
realistic and actually become habits that stick rather than things that we try and then potentially get a little, little bit overwhelmed by or put off by um, because they're too hard work and then don't do it at all. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Um, so what would you say to anybody then who's listening to this and thinking, okay, um, I'm not really happy with the way things are going with my drinking. Um, maybe they can't realistically go to rehab in Thailand as much as they might like to. Um, so what would you recommend that their next step might be? Because journaling and yoga, lovely as they are, probably are not going to do everything that needs to be done. Mm, absolutely. Um, I mean, as a very, very um, first step, there's the courage to mm -hmm. do something, however small that is. I think that's a really big part to remember that, you know, it takes a huge amount of courage to change something that we already know, even if it's that we know it's not good for us. Um, but in terms of a sort of action-based thing, I would really, really um, recommend that people find a community-based activity um, in terms of a, a, a recovery community. Um, all of those things like journaling are amazing tools, but um, I believe that that community aspect is really crucial, especially at the beginning, whether that's um, going to a 12-step meeting, you know, online, very accessible. I used to go to um, one in Hollywood or, you know, go to one in Spain. You know, you can really go anywhere in the world on yeah, these things. <laughs> yeah, or you can go um, to an in-person one. Um, I do know a few people that, that have anxiety um, challenges. So online can be a really great way to mm. step in, you know, put a toe in and just even listen in without even speaking, yeah. which can be a bit more of an appealing idea. Um, but then there's obviously other community-based programs or, you know, groups like your scale um, where being able to be in another environment where other people are experiencing or have experienced what you're going through is such a powerful thing in recovery because um you know all the journaling in the world can't still it doesn't quite have the same effect as um speaking to another person with lived experience or going through the same experience yeah that's so true because we think that we're the only ones that this is happening to. We think, you know, it's just me who's got these crazy thoughts or it's just me who can't, you know, put the drink down. What's wrong with me? But actually when we do speak to other people, we realize that, you know, there's nothing wrong with us. It just so happens that there's this addictive substance which is causing us problems in our lives and it's causing other people problems. And I think it's, mm -hmm. it's a comfort to know that actually there's nothing wrong with me. I just need a little bit of help to get through this and having people there, like you say, mm -hmm. to support you or who understand or just there to listen to you cry if that's what you need. It yeah. just make a huge difference. 
huge and actually that's such an amazing point that holding space for mm-hmm. someone or having having space held for you yeah. is such uh, an amazing and powerful thing isn't it, it is. um and in terms of communities you know um you might find this as well places like instagram of just vast um mm-hmm. with support and mm-hmm. so even if you know we were talking about steps earlier if the steps to go to a meeting or to join a, a group call is a little bit overwhelming then starting by if you're in on instagram following you know some accounts that that talk about recovery there's some great podcasts out there um <clears throat> recovery elevator is a really good one that um he interviews people at all different stages of recovery many of them at very very early stages 10 days or 20 days or 80 days and hearing other people's stories mm. in early recovery can be really helpful as well yeah yeah it can um i think as i said it's just so comforting to hear other people's stories that you can relate to and it just gives you that sense of empowerment as well so if somebody else can do it then you know there's no reason why I can't do it as Mm -hmm. well which is inspirational absolutely Absolutely. and it builds that courage you know to keep going with it because our brains will often start saying oh you know you're okay go back to it go back to it whereas being surrounded by other people that are either you know in the same boat or or reminders as to why this is a better path mm-hmm. it only strengthens that courage and like you said is super empowering yeah yeah it is um so your life now then sophie must look very different to what it did before um what is and then this is probably a difficult question the best thing or a couple of really amazing things that you love about being alcohol free? Ah, oh, what a great question. And yeah, there are so many things. Yeah. Um, at the core, I would say there's an inner peace mm-hmm. um, that can be sometimes quite difficult to describe, but there's a calmness inside that, um, you know, I used to be riddled with anxiety or, oh God, what happened last night? Who, who did I upset? Or, you know, did I run anyone out? You know, just all that fear and anxiety. And mm. so now I live with this real inner peace that actually um, there are all these different strands that come off that, you know, there's um, better sleep, there's um, better nutrition, there's better relationships with people my core values have come back to the surface Mm -hmm. you know they they got very much put into a a box that underneath the stairs and that was part of the feeding of the addiction because I knew they were there but I wasn't using them so they've come back to the forefront um I live with integrity and 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 you know with all these things that just feel so wonderful now um as well as the physical things as well you know I I feel healthier and I am healthier for it I have more energy and like I mentioned I sleep better um I'm much more present with my time and yeah it's endless endless 
It is. And it's true what they say. It sounds a bit cliche, but it is, you know, sobriety is the gift that just keeps on giving because the more time you have alcohol free, then the more you get to experience all of these wonderful benefits and discover, you know, what else might be out there waiting for you that you would never get the uh, opportunity to experience if you're living in the small world that, you know, drinking does create for ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I can relate to that feeling of calmness and just that feeling of contentment, I suppose. Um, and some people might think, oh gosh, that's quite boring. And it is, but do you know what? It's, it's lovely. Like there's nothing it's nicer, delicious. yeah, than just sitting there, I don't know, with a book or going out for a walk and just feeling good in that moment, just because, not because, you know, you've enhanced it with anything or whatever, mm. it's just nice. Really Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, it's a really delicious feeling. And I think, um, you know, there are still there are still challenges in life, aren't there, in recovery and almost stronger in some ways because mm -hmm. there's no blocks on the emotions. So things can sometimes feel really strong, you know, really strong mm -hmm. um, emotion-wise or getting through a sticky situation or, you know, all of that sort of stuff. But what I've really noticed is, um, you know, I'm able to get through those better, even if they're hard. Yeah. And knowing the decisions I'm making are with clarity and with best intentions in mind. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lovely feeling as well, you know, working through stuff, but doing it with clarity. Yeah, yeah, not kind of blindly blundering through as we might have done in the past. Um, and for my own experience, uh, if, you know, I've got, I've got two kids. Well, one of them's 20, so he's not really a child anymore. But I would often, when I was drinking, I would shout at them for no reason. Um, or I would think that they'd give me good reason to be annoyed, but actually it wasn't. So obviously the house is a lot calmer, but if I do have to have a word with them or tell them off, it's for a genuine reason. It's not because mm -hmm. I'm hungover or... I've had too much to drink and you know there's no boundaries or anything there so that's a lovely thing being being myself again I suppose mm. yeah such a lovely feeling to find oneself again on this mm. process which which can take a while you know I think I felt very lost for a while yeah. boundaries were out of the window my values were still under the cupboard in a box, you know, yeah. all of those things. And there were a lot of relationships to um, rebuild or, you know, work on. So yeah. that, that wasn't there immediately. But I think when we can really, um, really have a belief in what we're doing is right with a long-term view of this is going to pay off because I'm yeah. doing everything right, we do then start seeing those benefits and it's really gorgeous because you know they only just they just keep coming and coming which is lovely yeah they do they do oh well thank you sophie so much um just before we go 
Um, I will put a link to your Instagram handle and could you just tell everybody again what that is? Yeah, for sure. So it's um, the underscore wolf you feed. Mm -hmm. And my website is thewolfyoufeed.com. .com. Okay, I'll put that in as well. And are you anywhere else? Apart from Instagram, are you on Facebook or anything? Um, no, I'm not actually. I'm just on, yeah, just on those two for now. I think that's enough. Good. Keeps me busy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. There's actually, um, actually, sorry, I just meant to mention on the website, um, near the bottom, there's a link to the journal and there's quite a lot of um, uh, writings by me on there, just Ooh. short ones about... Um, early recovery or neuroscience of addiction and, and habits and things like that if anyone's interested to have a read wow. yeah I'm sure there will be I'll go check that out as well okay so thank you so much Sophie uh, is there anything that you'd like to say final word just before we go um well just thank you so much for having me on and <laughs> Thank you for, yeah, strengthening my recovery by, Aww. you know, um, having this gorgeous conversation yeah. and sense of community and everything. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. Oh, thank you for coming on again, because this is the second time we've met, isn't it? <laughs> to do the podcast. <laughs> it is, but I love our chat. So it's yeah. actually great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Sophie. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please share and subscribe. For more help and support, go to the Sober Bliss website, soberbliss.com. Connect with me on social media and learn how I can help you quit drinking and start living. <laughs>